Hi, everyone, and welcome to Strive's How You Lead Matters podcast, where we discuss everything leadership. From tapping into your motivation to fueling yourself with grit, we are here to support you as you discover the character-driven leader in yourself and those around you. My name is Caroline Lettner, and I'm the marketing manager here at Strive. On today's episode, I'm sitting down with registered dietitian and certified specialist in sports dietetics, Shira Evans. Shira is a former college athlete at Ithaca College and remains quite active today. From road races to cycling across the United States twice to help support affordable housing initiatives, Shira has always followed her passions. Today, she has cultivated an impressive career in the fields of disordered eating and sports nutrition, most recently accepting the role of Assistant Director of Sport Nutrition at UNC Chapel Hill. And we are here with Shira Evans. I'm so excited to talk to you about your work in sports nutrition and all of the areas that your work applies to. It's certainly a hot topic right now. We're excited to have you on. Thank you so much for having me today. No problem. So I'd love to hear more about how you got interested in the field of sports nutrition in the first place. Yes, that's such a great question. Um, So for me, I was actually a former athlete. I played sports growing up. I did some gymnastics when I was a little kid and dance. And then in middle school, I really got into running and that carried through into high school as well and competed in track and field and cross country in college. And that always kind of sparked my interest in terms of nutrition and health. But when I was in college, actually, Um, the field of sport nutrition wasn't quite as large as it is today, but in my mind and in my heart, I knew I wanted to get into it. And so I've kind of cultivated a career that really encapsulates that. But for me, another piece of it is that when I was in college, one of my friends was actually impacted also by disordered eating. Mm -hmm. And I remember as I, as I learned what she was going through and her experiences, that really opened my eyes and my empathy and began to think like, wow, like maybe I can build a career that involves working with athletes, supporting their athletic goals, but also supports them if they're impacted by eating concerns or body image concerns. And so really from that point forward, that's what I was like, I'm going to be working toward. Yeah, that empathetic standpoint is huge. I can tell that you have a big heart if you're able to understand kind of and see what your friend was going through and realize that there's a need for this. I think a lot of us get into fields because we either had a great experience with someone or we realized that there was a gap. And so you clearly realized that there was a gap and tackled it. And that's incredible. Um, that leads into something that I think about constantly is that the world of nutrition is just like riddled with misinformation, <laughs> predatory tactics. There's, there's the whole nine yards. I don't need to explain it to you. Um, but what are some of the most common misunderstandings you experience with student athletes around? Yeah. That's such a great point you bring up and such a great question. I think about how you're right. Like anyone can basically share nutrition and advice and Unfortunately, that can also bring harm. That can bring a lot of misinformation. I think about, especially in this day of social media, where anyone can have a TikTok account, a Instagram account, Facebook, Twitter, whatever the case may be. 
And you can essentially promote your own nutrition and health beliefs, but not necessarily have the credentials nor the background in education to really support it. And so really quickly and really easily, misinformation just gets spilled in so many different media outlets. I think about how you turn on again to like Instagram or social media outlets like that. And you could see influencers saying that carbs are bad, certain (laughs) foods are good. And you're like, oh, wait, what? And it's just really something typically that's viewed through, I think, this black and white lens. And something I would say to any student athlete who I work with is that, one, when you're looking at information on the internet, be curious about who you're getting the information from. Are they a registered dietitian? So a registered dietitian is the expert in the field of nutrition. They are someone who's educated and board certified and credentialed, and they have to maintain education to keep up with that as well. Whereas again, there is no actual qualifications or credentialing to be a nutritionist, to be a nutritionalist, to be uh, an influencer. And so I think that's something that's really important to highlight here. Yeah, I think like, I love that you called out the binary right away, because that's something I think about all the time. And like, even for me, it was a process of understanding like this whole concept of like, one thing is good or bad. Well, it depends on what your body wants and is asking for in the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially when we consider transitions that we all go through when coming out of maybe being a college athlete or whatever you're doing, our bodies and our needs are constantly changing. Um, So in terms of supporting people with realizing like this is high quality information and this is not, um, you recommend looking up kind of who is sharing that information. Are there any other ways that we can protect ourselves from some of that misinformation? Yeah. And you kind of mentioned that the binary, right? If you notice people are putting things that feel very black and white, very all or nothing in terms of the information they're sharing, I'd also be really curious about that if I was the person reading that information, because the reality is, again, with nutrition, there really aren't black and white foods like that. Like everything has value. Everything has a purpose. Even things that get stigmatized left and right, it still provides a lot of nutritional value. I think about a good example being maybe like pizza, for example, where (laughs) you may go onto social media and all these influencers saying like, hey, you need to cut out pizza. It's so bad for you. It's greasy. You're going to gain weight with this. But we look at it and break it down into its components. The crust is providing us carbs, which we need for energy and brain function. The sauce provides us some antioxidants and vitamins. The cheese provides dietary fat and protein, which we need every day. And so when you look at it, like, gosh, it's not actually bad, like influencers may be saying, but it's actually providing my body with things that it's asking for on a daily basis. Yeah, that's... Uh, you're like connecting to so many conversations I have in my own life. I personally have not eaten meat um, since college. And um, that was really just a personal choice for me. Um, But oftentimes when you share kind of your dietary choices, people love to inform you on what is good or bad about it. And so, so frequently Mm -hmm. it's like, well, where do you get your protein or where do you get this? And it's like, how about you let me handle that and you can handle your stuff, you know, and we can all be right. so I love that, that caution around the binary because it's whatever diet and whatever food choices you need to just consider what you're going to need and what your body is asking for in the moment and ethics play a role in that as well. And we all have variable ideas on all of these things. So I think that's really beautiful. And um, one of the things that I constantly see within the world of nutrition and like 
to be honest, a lot of where I'm getting my own information is social media. So that's something I need to work on. Um, but there are a lot of terms within that world right now around like body positivity, body mm -hmm. neutrality, body respect and, and beyond. Um, can you help me unpack some of those terms and where yeah. you stand on some of them? Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because they are terms that are more prevalent now. I would say like if we were to kind of look back at 10 years from now um, or 10 years ago, like we probably wouldn't be as familiar with hearing these types of phrases. <clears throat> so with body positivity, I would say it's a movement that allows a person to love their body unconditionally as it is today. And I think that body positivity is a wonderful movement. It gives you endless permission to love yourself and have respect for your body basically. But I also wanna acknowledge like a caveat could be for someone who maybe has been so deeply immersed in diet culture, the idea of unconditionally loving your body today as it is, that might not feel genuine or authentic. And so that can be a lot to really unpack and buy into in that moment. Whereas I think body neutrality, that's a more approachable starting point. Essentially, it's the stance that your body is just a body and we can feel neutral about it. It lets you do things that are important to you and you don't have to love it today. It's just, it's a body and that's okay. And I, I think that's a much more helpful starting point for someone maybe who's been impacted by diet culture, who's been impacted by weight cycling or even disordered eating and they have distrust in the way that their body is. <clears throat> With body respect, it's another term that is somewhat similar to body neutrality, but I would say it's kind of more of an action-oriented phrase where with body respect maybe is a way in which you can take an action to show actual respect to your body. So some ways a person could practice body respect to kind of support body neutrality could be um, making a goal to eat adequately versus restricting their calories. It could be not comparing yourself to anyone else, not comparing how much you eat to anyone else, maybe not engaging in negative self-talk. And those could be some examples of body respect. That's huge. And I think like when you brought up the idea of like someone maybe experiencing um, negative relationship with their body, the idea of just going into that like toxic optimism that we talk about sometimes like that just may not be the right route for them. That may not be what's most comfortable. Um, I think it's, it's powerful too, as young people are more and more on social media and that's, that's their resource, myself included, you know, like yeah. that there is that route as well is so powerful. So I'm, I'm again, I keep saying, I'm so glad that there are people like you out there. <laughs> Um, tell me more about like the relationships with our bodies, especially as you work with young athletes, because athletes specifically, we put so much priority on our bodies that can do. And then yeah. that's changing, especially if you leave the field, the world of athletics, tell me how you help students with that. Yeah, that's a really great question. So I would say for athletes, they are so self-aware and the likelihood of them comparing also their body to someone else is even greater than let's say someone who's not involved in sports. And I think a reason for that is there is that opportunity for direct comparison, right? They can say like, hey, I see my teammate X in practice and they're performing well. I'm not, what's the difference between us? Is it because maybe teammate X is taller? Are they thinner? Are they you know, perceived in such a different like physical attribute where it makes it easy for that room of comparison and awareness. But the other thing I think about too, that's kind of related off of that is we also know that 
anyone who is participating in sports, um, studies show that athletes have a two to three times higher likelihood of actually developing disordered eating compared to someone who's not involved in sports. And I think there's a lot of factors that play into that um, type of information. I think certainly the pressures to perform well, um, being very high achieving, being involved in competitive things, um, you know, thinking about like ways that they can control different tangents to help them improve performance. So often people will talk about nutrition as something that you can control. And I hate that word control because really like <laughs> I've never seen a situation where control and nutrition go well together. <laughs> um, and so I, I think there's a lot of things that really impact why athletes are more aware of their bodies and just how nutrition impacts like how they conceptualize eating and their bodies as well. Also the messaging they experience them from external factors, right? So coaches, parents, teachers, anyone really. And so it can have a lot of influence there. And so something I make sure when I'm doing any nutrition counseling with any athlete, student athlete, is really feeling so neutral in my language and normalizing how if you are an athlete, you can eat any type of food, right? So certainly like you know, maybe like three hours before, let's say a game, you're going to want to focus on something that is carbohydrate rich and easy to digest and balanced and has a moderate source of protein. And, you know, all these factors that from a sport nutrition research perspective, it, it hits like all the marks, but also like knowing that when that's over and you're just living your normal life, like on a day-to-day -day basis, mm -hmm. if you want to have dessert, that's also okay. If you want to have some refined bread products, that's awesome. Like that's not going to be something that all of a sudden radically alters your health or your athletic performance and goals. Yeah, that's, that's so huge. I think for myself personally, I don't want to speak for other people, but food was definitely something that was earned. Um, and it was the idea of like, okay, well, I had a really great practice or I had a really great experience and game and I performed really well. And so therefore I can treat myself. And I see that thinking in my daily life now, especially now that I'm outside of the world of college athletics, where reminding myself, like you're allowed to have dinner, even if it was just the 30 minute workout, or even if it was no workout at all. Um, I was joking with someone um, it was raining the other day and I was about to go work out um, and I was going to go on a run and they were like, oh, but, but it's raining. And I was like, I had to step out and realize like that was never an excuse that I was allowed to use, but like I can use that and I can adjust now and, mm -hmm. and I have to reset my own thinking. And it, it is really powerful to realize how strongly impacted our, our thinking is from the experiences we've had. Absolutely. That makes me think very much also about how it's kind of like you talked about transitions as well, where I think about life after sport, where athletes often will compare themselves in so many different ways to life when they were actively like an athlete on a team or engaging in regular competition and training. And I think a few different takeaways from there, like one of the beautiful things about life after sport is you get to develop a whole new sustainable relationship with how you engage in movement. And I think recognizing that when you were a former like student athlete or high performance athlete, you know, there's very different expectations. And we know from like, let's say a literature and research perspective, everyday movement doesn't have to be as an intense like that. It doesn't have to be so intentional. It really should be something that's enjoyable for people to be sustainable and definitely not as intense and definitely not as frequent as it probably was. Yeah. Um, the other things I think about too is that I think 
sometimes transitioning out of competitive sports and moving onward, I think that can be tough just because your body may go through some changes. And I think something to really embrace is that your body's changing all the time, right? Like the body we probably had, let's say five years ago, that's probably not the body that we're meant to have for real life. I think a, a common narrative I see around this topic is especially high school athletes that transition into college and they're not fully done with like growing and developing. And especially in like their first year or two, they develop increased weight status from muscle mass, from bone mass, but just continuing to grow overall, which may include fat mass. And that's perfectly fine. But that can be a really difficult and jarring experience, I think, for people who are so self-aware. Yeah, I think it goes back to that idea of control too. Like if our hormones are changing or just life is happening, you you previously felt so in control of exactly every part of your body. And it was like going to the gym and doing that one ab workout or whatever it was. And now all of a sudden you're doing that one ab workout, but maybe there's a little bit more there or whatever it may be. And, and it can be frustrating for an athlete who feels like, and I'm, I'm exposing myself a little bit here, but you know, it's like, I had control over how fast I ran a mile. I could control my performance. Like, and I, I worked so hard <laughs> to control it that when mm-hmm. all of a sudden things are happening that despite the effort I'm putting in, I'm not seeing the results I used to see when I was 21 in college or whatever it may be. So it's, it's definitely impactful, but I think getting to that point of either neutrality, respect, or positivity, whatever aligns with, with your comfort. Um, it's just such a beautiful process to like, finally get to that point. And I think, I think it is ongoing as well, but it's, I am on my own path as well. And I have started to, to be really grateful for the things that my body has done. And even to look back and sometimes, you know, my left ankle bothers me from an injury in college and I can, in a weird way be grateful for that because like wow what a what a big game and now I have that memory and yeah like I need to nurse that and I need to respect what my ankle needs and and we see that in in so many areas um even when I think about like more extreme versions of like snapping back after pregnancy or things like that the language around all this needs to change but but we're we're on the right path again with people like you so um (laughs) how do you recommend for some of our listeners, our coaches, how do you recommend they support their athletes in kind of setting up to have the best relationship with their body that they can and have a best relationship with their nutrition? Yeah, I think a few things. So I think for coaches, they have to recognize that they have such an important role, like they're a person's mentor. If it's like a college age coach, they're almost in a way kind of like adoptive parents, right? Like college kids are away from their family and they are around their coaches so often, so frequently. And so they become honestly by proxy kind of parent figures for these college age kids. And so it's like what they say about food or bodies really can be impactful without even realizing it. So I think it's really important to de-emphasize like certain body types being ideal for performance and health. I think it's really important to de-emphasize weight goals or body fat goals and really just focus on the body as a body. Like your body's letting you dribble the ball if you play basketball. Your body's allowing you to clear the hurdles if you're a hurdler. And that's an amazing skill that you have. And that's great. And we're going to work together and continue to enhance your development with that. And that's what it is. 
I think with nutrition, it's similar in a way where they never want to talk about food and, you know, this black and white lens, right? Um, they want to talk about food in a neutral lens. They also want to normalize eating three meals per day, eating snacks as they're needed, not avoiding certain food groups, normalizing, getting help if they need help. So I think sometimes like maybe student athletes who may be impacted by eating or body image concerns that can carry a lot of stigma or shame if they're recognizing that's there. And so I think a coach normalizing like, hey, if you're ever feeling this way, I'm so glad that you came to talk to me about it. But I also want you to know that maybe we have a registered dietitian on staff who can also work with you in a confidential manner and really support you to help move you forward in a productive manner to improve your relationship with food and body. Um, I think that could be really helpful. And then uh, the last thing I would say is probably just, you know, we can't control what someone as an adult does in terms of how they choose to nourish themselves. So for example, if let's say a coach decides that they want to engage in some sort of a fad diet, you know, that's ultimately their choice. They are an adult. But what I would say is it's so critical that they don't share that information with their athletes, that they don't like normalize that dieting behavior. They don't talk about it in, you know, a manner that kind of louds it because that can be really harming unintentionally to the student athletes. That's really powerful. I never really would have thought about that. Um, because I think food is something we talk about constantly. I, I am a hungry person. 90% of the time I'm hungry. Um, and I think like I, I am thinking about food all the time. And so realizing how impactful it is even just to like casually discuss your own eating habits when you are in a position of mentorship or, or a position that is higher than, than your students, that, that makes such a big role. Um, do you see people trending towards hiring dietitians and nutritionists on their staff more? Or do you, do you want more people to be doing that? Yeah, well, I think that hiring more dietitians is always an excellent thing, but I will say that the field of sports dietetics has grown so much. So again, I think back to when I was in undergrad, so granted this was several years ago, but when I was back in undergraduate, I really didn't know of many sports dietitians, especially working in like higher education or in similar situations or environments. And, you know, and today there's so many dietitians at universities and colleges across the United States and in other countries as well. I think there's still opportunity for growth. I think about probably some of the smaller schools that maybe have like smaller budgets. Maybe they have like a contract sport dietitian. And so I think a great opportunity for growth and also supporting student health and needs is actually figuring out ways, how can we enhance the resources for our student athletes by increasing the amount of availability of skilled staff like a registered dietitian who specialized in like sport nutrition and eating disorders. I think that's a wonderful thing to conceptualize and think of creative ways to really, again, have more of that. Yeah, I agree with you. Even in my time at undergrad, I don't remember there being like a surplus of dietitians or nutritionists um, there. Now, I have also been using the term somewhat interchangeably, and I feel like that's wrong. Understands <laughs> <laughs> the difference between dietitian, nutritionist, and I think I also heard you use the term nutritionalist. Oh, yeah. yeah, nutritionalist is totally like a joke. So, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so a registered dietitian, again, registered dietitian or RD, they're the experts of food and nutrition. So in order to become a registered dietitian, you first have to be accepted into an accredited program for nutrition. 
and then into an internship with at least 900 hours of designated time that fit different needs to fulfill being a registered dietitian. After you've satisfied that, you can be approved to sit for a national board exam. And then after you take your board exam and pass it, every five years, you also need to maintain 75 continuing education units just to stay abreast in current nutrition education and making sure that you understand the most up-to-date literature to support anyone. Where with a nutritionist, a nutritionalist, there is nothing like that. So if you wanted to today, you could say you're a nutritionist. There's no sort of credentialing or expertise or anything that's involved with that term. And so that's where it can get really confusing because I love how you brought up earlier, like when you when you look to the internet, there can be just such a challenge deciphering like what's credible, what's not credible. And maybe people even use the term that like, you know, they're, you know, such and such the nutritionist of Instagram. And it's like, oh, like they have really flashy marketing, really good graphics. I like it. The person's friendly and approachable. But if they don't have the RD, they're actually not credible at all. And they may actually be dispelling a lot of common nutrition misinformation. That's so good to know. Cause that was, that was going to be what I was asking next was like, in addition to the binary and those types of things, like how can we vet our information? And so that is something that I would have never known had I not spoken to you. So I'm so grateful to have that information huh. now, I think. Like even when I talk to other people that may be like earlier on it in their journey and they're starting to grasp at different information and starting to understand it, having that piece of information to just be like, hey, what is this person's title can help so much. Um, it is sad to know that people are still kind of out there pushing information that may not be vetted. Um, I think it's beautiful for people to share their experiences and what has worked for them, but advertising it as that versus like, here's what worked for me and therefore it'll work for all of you guys is two very different things. And I think we see the second option much more frequently. Um, also in speaking of titles, I know that you recently are starting at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. So congratulations on that. Can you tell us more about Thank you. who is there? Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. So I did recently accept a position there. So I am the assistant director of sports nutrition. I'll be primarily working with the Olympic sports team, which I'm thrilled about. There's so much history at this school, and I'm so excited to be able to be a part of it, supporting the student athletes there for any of their nutritional needs. Um, I'll be doing, you know, works with all the Olympic teams, but also meeting with students on an individual manner and then one of my favorite aspects also is that I'll be doing mentoring so I'll be working with nutrition interns and nutrition fellows who are either working their way up to become a registered dietitian or to become a certified specialist in sports dietetics and so they'll be kind of shadowing me and I'll be just yeah helping to mentor and educate them. Wow that's incredible and it's so it's humbling in a way to hear that people at the Olympic level still need advice and guidance and support around these things. I think we view people at that level as like the ultimate goal. And so you're like, oh, they have all of that stuff figured out, but it's great to know that they are, they have supports and they have people around them to support them with these things as well. I'm sure, I'm sure it is uh, a really powerful experience to work with people like that. So that's exciting. Yeah. Um, when, when I'm thinking, uh, we've talked a lot about social media, like, and how it comes up in this process. 
do you feel or the advice that you give? Is social media something that is always a source of misinformation? Is there a way to use it in a positive way? What is your advice around that? Yeah, um, so I think it can absolutely be used in a powerful and factual way that is supportive for health and improved relationship with food and body. But I do think that probably if we were to just pull all the Instagram accounts, if we were to pull all the TikTok accounts, I would be willing to speculate that there's probably a greater proportion of influencers on those types of social media outlets that probably are really, you know, pushing more misinformation or diet culture beliefs, I would say. And so I, I think that's where the problem is, because those are the ones where they think about catchy ways to pull people in and they make money off of that, unfortunately. But I think, again, there are a lot of positive accounts out there. It's just a matter of someone really being curious before they really get bought into like someone that they're viewing, but also asking themselves good questions. Like, why am I interested in this account? Is it because maybe I've been exposed to a lot of messaging that I need to lose weight because the body I'm in is not good enough. And now I'm following, you know, this nutrition influencer that pushes a keto style diet, but maybe is not, you know, educated or has the expertise to really be putting out information. And so I think it's something I would highly recommend just anyone when you're, you know, browsing internet and different media outlets to be curious and asking yourselves those tough questions. I love that question. Guiding questions and questions that you may not have thought about before can be really powerful. I know sometimes if I'm facilitating a Strive program, I'll be asking the group questions and then I realize like, oh, I need to ask myself that question. Um, yes. For your time working with students, um, we talked about kind of the difficulties that you see them facing. Is there like one most common misunderstanding or one most common myth that you want to debunk? <laughs> oh gosh, there's so many, but I would say one of the ones I keep coming up with is like, either you need to be, you know, the lowest possible body fat to be the best athletic version of yourself or like a certain amount below whatever your current weight may be. And there's this belief that some student athletes really just hold so close to their heart where, again, it allows them to pursue such a, a strong sense of like trying to lose weight, trying to get to the lowest body fat, which again, can be so harming for them on so many different levels. And so what I would say is that actually one of the greatest things is that we are all different. Like we are all genetically different. We are never meant to be the same individual body, all of us. And what's great is that to be successful in whatever you do, even outside of sport, it's great to really honor your body as it is, nourishing it adequately and not trying to shrink it, not trying to change it because that's who you are meant to be. And that's allowed you to get where you are today. Yeah, that's, that's beautifully said. And I think it's definitely, we're, we're constantly provided numbers and statistics. And especially as an athlete, like you're always looking at your stats, whether it's what you're capable of doing, what you have done performance wise and your body statistics. And like, that can be, that can be an exciting opportunity, but it can also be something again, where that control comes in and you want to control exactly what that BMI is or exactly what those numbers say. And you can't, you know, like, like you said, it's so based off of genetics, which is so important to understand for people. As we, 
as we close up, is there anything else you would like to share with our audience? I know I have like a million more questions, but <laughs> I can only I can only have you for so long. Is there anything you'd like to share with our audience? You know, I think we covered a lot of really amazing topics today. I think something I would leave for whoever may be listening to this, I think, you know, tomorrow if you wake up and you notice that maybe you find that you're giving yourself a, a judgment about your body or your food choices, I would just encourage you in a non-judgmental way to be curious about where that thought's coming from and to just really try to challenge that maybe. If you notice like you're waking up tomorrow morning and you're like, gosh, like I feel big today. Maybe I should skip breakfast. Gosh, I don't like how I'm looking in this outfit. Maybe I should cut out some carbs. I would just say in a curious manner, just and in a non-judgmental way, being curious where those thoughts are coming from and allowing it to kind of process. And maybe as you start to kind of explore it, just being able to try to challenge it if you think that it's coming from maybe a place of diet culture or these negative beliefs. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm speechless with that because I think asking yourself those questions is just something I've never thought about before. Do you recommend to students like journaling or anything like that, or just kind of meditative thinking about it? Where do you recommend with that? I think, I think that journaling is a great skill. Um, journaling can be free flowing. It can also be like, let's say for someone maybe who has, again, a negative relationship with their body, like you could use like body neutral prompts where it's like each day you dedicate like five to 10 minutes to reflect on like, what has my body enabled me to do in the last day? What is it that I'm looking forward to to do in the next 24 hours that my body will be a part of? Um, I think those are great ways to think about these things that can help shift how you think about your body, but also writing it down. It gives you the opportunity to look back at it. Because I also recognize like maybe some days you feel more okay about your body and then other days maybe you wake up, you're like, just it's a bad body image day for whatever reason. And so it gives you the opportunity to look back at things that you've previously identified and written about. And that can be really powerful. Oh, I love that. Are there any resources that you recommend for people, potentially free resources that, that students, athletes, people alike could use if they wanted to get started on that process? Yeah. So I think there's a few different good resources out there. So this one actually in particular comes from the National Eating Disorder Association. There's a handout on there located under their body image tab. And it's like a one page handout that has just four questions. And it's very reflective. It asks a person basically to identify what their body allows them to do, who are their role models and why, with the time that you currently spend thinking about your body, like you know, what could you be doing instead of that? And then identifying things that you like about yourself, not including your physical appearance. So like, that's one tool that is just free for anyone online. I think that's really helpful looking at something like that. Um, but kind of going back to social media, I think being able to be aware of people who are good role models in terms of nourishing yourself and body respect and body neutrality. Um, two people that are former athletes that I'm a fan of, um, professional runner Ali Kiefer. I think she's done a phenomenal job just really challenging like ideal body size in the running community and pushing back on it. Um, another person I would recommend is actually Victoria Garrick. She has an amazing influence on Instagram. She's a former volleyball star from USC and she's done a phenomenal job talking about mental health and body image and nourishing yourself. So I think those are two accounts to definitely check out and follow. 
Amazing. I'll definitely link those in the description of today's episode because like, I'm definitely looking them up right after this. So I would love for our audience to have that access as well. Um, I, I can't express my gratitude enough for this conversation. Mm. It's so needed in today's world. And I, I'm so grateful to have people like you out there for our athletes, for our young people, and just for everyone involved that everyone has a relationship with their body. And so it's great to have people supporting us in that journey. Um, thank you so much for being on today. Not a problem. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. And thank you to everyone who tuned in today. How You Lead Matters podcast comes out on a monthly basis. And if you're looking for more content, follow us on all socials at How You Lead Matters or email us today to schedule your own Strive workshop. Talk to you next month.